flexibility is your passive ability to get into a certain position or range of motion and mobility is the active ability to get to a certain range of motion mobility will have your flexibility and strength a lot of the times when you only have that passive ability to get into ranges you're not very strong one tendons really don't like to be stretched all the time and then two if you do need to absorb force or accept force into those areas, if you only have that passive ability, that's when injuries occur. I'm Donna Edda, and you're listening to The Interested Podcast, the show that brings you ideas for wellness. In this episode, I talk with Kevin Choi on joint health and resilience through movement nutrition. Kevin completed his degree in physiotherapy in 2008 but decided to pursue an alternative career in the physical health space. He furthered his education in traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, functional range conditioning mobility, and functional range release. He has trained under some of the world's most exciting movement innovators, such as Dr. Andrew Spiner. Kevin is passionate about sports injury prevention and active lifestyle recovery through movement. In this conversation, Kevin shares tips on how to attain functional longevity. We talk about why exercise is a man-made thing. What are the prerequisites for proper healthy movement? Why end range training is important. The difference between flexibility and mobility and movement as a lifestyle. So without further ado, here is Kevin Choi. We believe that exercise is a man-made thing because this is something that we've invented in order to try to compensate for the lack of physical activity that we have throughout our lives and throughout our days. Sometimes it's, it's crazy to think that in one day, we only try to fit one hour of physical activity or movement or mindful movement or something physically healthy for our bodies, where we should think about moving a little bit more, trying to sprinkle in as much as we can for the benefit of our own bodies physically and also mentally. What is a more sustainable way of moving then? I feel the easiest way to do it is to just listen to our bodies a lot more. It, it's quite a fad now or it's quite popular to have activity trackers that reminds us to move. It's like, oh, time to move. You've been sitting or you've been static and stuff like that. But I, I tell people that Look, you have your own activity tracker in your brain. You know, your brain signals the body to move um, by giving you, let's say, like a little bit of discomfort or heaviness or tightness in the body. And that immediately just makes you want to, oh, I kind of need to give myself a bit of a massage or I need to bring my head towards this side. And oh, that's a really nice stretch. And then you immediately feel much better. Those are like the mini ways to or like really simple ways to introduce or sprinkle in movement. I know that there's work and we can't be away from the desk or away from our screens um, all the time or for a prolonged period of time. But there are ways, you know, just to do joint movements, to just stand up a little bit more. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you will really know once the brain starts to signal you or give you some small signals like that. I love yeah. that we have a built-in activity yeah. tracker inside. <laughs> so can you go into joint movements? Because this is basically why I have you on the show today. Um, discovering that concept has basically changed 
and save my movement routine and my health from injuries. Can you talk about that a bit more? You know that saying, when you don't use it, then you lose it. So our joints constantly need stimulation. You need to introduce force inside the joints uh, because that would be the only way for you to maintain the health and longevity of your joints. People do look for ways, let's say supplementation or like what's the best superfood for your joints? How do we bring inflammation down? And with research, it always comes back to movement. You know, um, gentle movements, pain-free movements, uh, moving outside of your normal zone or your normal format. My rule would always be start pain-free, start slow. There are things that we try to do in our online platform and the functional anatomy seminars or functional range systems where we try to just take a joint, see what a joint can do, um, and then just basically try to give the joint experience towards different positions and different directions. Uh, because in terms of injury, when, when a joint doesn't have the experience there, then that's usually when stuff would happen. It's sort of like strength training as well, but very regressed. If your muscles can tolerate, let's say like a, a 30 kg squat, and that gets pretty easy and that's totally fine, then you can start bumping it up. So you do need to use like an overload principle as well to build resiliency in the joints. Or if we think of it as just a warm up, it's almost like a hack in the body and it's almost like a, like a magic trick for the body. Some people would categorize, they would foam roll and then they would immediately feel better and then, okay, super loose, I'm gonna start to work out because I'm much better. But then after that short foam roll session, it's just gonna go back. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Hang on, so what's the difference between a foam rolling warm up and a joint mobility warm up? So with foam roll, obviously you're just applying pressure to the muscle, it's almost like a massage and it's a passive input. If you do want to prepare specifically for something, you do need an active input for an active outcome. Instead of just foam rolling that certain tissue, I would suggest more to prime the body, prime the joints, and especially prime the movement. Just like air squats, if you were going to, let's say, do let's say a lower body or a squat workout. Prime the movements without the weight, um, and then you can jump into progressively loading the bar a little bit more. Let's talk about the end range. I think this is a nice place to really paint the picture of mobility. As humans, we try to be as efficient as possible. We always want it easy. We want the path of least resistance. A uh, perfect example is just doing a bicep curl. Super easy that you're just here in the mid ranges. But when you start training or when you start trying to work in the end ranges, it is a little bit more challenging. Just because again, we don't have that much experience in those end ranges. When you're doing sport, when you're doing activity, a lot of our injuries happen in the end ranges because we don't have a lot of experience there or strength or also the ability to actually produce maximum contraction in that specific range. What's an example of an, a sport injury? Um, the first thing that pops into my mind with a lot of end range injuries would be jujitsu because you do have to submit someone and your opponent is literally trying to take you to that end range for you to tap out. A lot of a lot of jiu-jitsu athletes do train in the end ranges or should train in the end ranges. 
Most sports, obviously, that need a lot of deceleration because that's also where injuries would happen. In terms of end ranges, also, let's say for Olympic weightlifting or CrossFit, um, and they go for a snatch and they go for that overhead position. Um, if they don't have, let's say, the ability to go to that end range of the overhead position, a lot of the times the body is just like, nope, I can't go there anyways unloaded. So if you're going to try to get me there loaded, then this is like one explanation as to why we can get overuse injuries as well. Is this the same reason why people who don't have the end range in the wrist get injuries when they're trying to practice handstands? Yeah, or even just push-ups or even just burpees even. Even burpees? Yeah. So I usually, you know, when someone comes in and they're like, my wrists hurt or my elbows hurt uh, or my shoulders hurt when, let's say, I do burpees or just normal slow push-ups, I do check how much active range that they have. There's always a difference. Mm. So you have the passive range, which is the flexibility part. Yeah. And then you have the mobility, which is the active range. If you don't have that active range, then that means you won't necessarily have the prerequisite to get into that position uh, or that movement. I love the word that you use about prerequisite. Mm. And I really want to dive into that because we have this misconception that certain movements are dangerous and risky, mm -hmm. but it's not the actual movement itself. It's mm -hmm. actually our bodies might not have the prerequisite mm -hmm. to perform those movements. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. Prerequisites is just taking a joint again and let's say, let's go for a shoulder. So we're going to take a shoulder joint and we're going to say, what should a shoulder do or what does my shoulder need to do for a certain activity? And if you can't perform that activity um, or if your shoulder isn't a shoulder, then... What does that even mean? <laughs> so let's say, let's say um, in an overhead position or like in an overhead squat, we would usually test people, okay, raise your arms up. And if I see that they can't even get all the way up here, ooh, nice crack. <laughs> if they can't get all the way up there, then I would usually tell them to just regress the exercise or just change the exercise. Right, so the shoulder so is no longer functioning as the shoulder. It won't be able to function well in that end range. Without like proper prerequisites, this is where injuries can occur. When we use cars or control articular rotations, it's not only like a mobility exercise, it's also a way to assess your joints. So as you go through all the ranges or all the positions of the shoulder, this is one way uh, that you can also be more aware. It's an opportunity to check if your shoulder can go into a certain position. This is also how you can do your own exercise selection, where you're most safe. If you can't get into that, then we cross that exercise out. But at the same time in the background, we're still trying to work on trying to get you there. This is where we go back to, again, exercise being man-made. Going back to the prerequisites, I just want to close this particular point because for, for a regular person who is not deeply knowledgeable in fitness and movement, how will they know when they don't have a prerequisite for certain movement? Basically, it's just, it's always happening. There's always going to be a recurrence of injury. Hopefully that enough uh, will tell the person to stop. But that usually doesn't happen with the people that I see. Why don't <laughs> um, they stop? Well, they don't want to stop because one, they need to work out, 
in order to lose weight. They need to, you know, get toned. They need to look better. So sometimes the reward system needs to shift. There has to be like a paradigm shift to health and fitness, I, I believe. A lot of people need to feel like they're getting work done. I try to tell people, look, if you can't do a burpee, then maybe go for like a bench burpee, which is a regression. So just like discomfort and pain, that would definitely be the number one thing to watch out for. Lifting and like post-workout soreness is is normal, but then when it's reoccurring or when you can't lift your arm anymore and all that stuff, then it's definitely like a sign that you need to watch out for. I really love what you said about the reward system has to change because mm. I think we have this illusion of a healthy looking body is a healthy person, mm -hmm. a professional athlete and, mm. and people with six packs and whatever. But actually, deep down, maybe there's a lot of injuries going on that we don't see. That's true. I know like coaches that are 25 and have like super heavy 200 plus kilogram back squats. But then every day of their lives, their hip just feels horrible. Is it worth it? And that it? 25, exactly. Like, is it worth it? Um, are you a professional athlete that earns millions of dollars no so maybe you have to think about that again would you rather do a muscle up versus have a better functioning shoulder and these are the things that you will have to assess and prioritize with your clients what is the focus between the aesthetic and the image versus longevity goals. My goal is longevity. When mm -hmm. I'm 80 years old, I want mm -hmm. to be able to walk up 10 flights of stairs, carry two big bags of groceries, mm -hmm. bend over and pick up my grand grandkids, mm -hmm. you know. What do you see in the fitness industry or the people that you come across? One, there's an age factor. Younger folks or younger clients wouldn't really prioritize the health stuff yet unless they've been through multiple injuries unless they were athletes back in the day and when they're done they're just like i'm done with this I'm, i don't want to deal with pain anymore so then that's when you know their mindset starts to change obviously with the older people from let's say like 40 to 50 they want to be able to continue to do the workouts that they're currently doing keeping them pain-free more and then eventually they're still in the gym um, and then they get to hit their goals, may it be like aesthetic wise, lose weight, lower their body fat and all that stuff. And obviously your fifties and up, they're the ones who are like, I don't want to, you know, get arthritis or um, let's say I just, uh, for, for people who have just had kids or let's say grandchildren, they're the ones also who are like, look, I want to live longer and actually physically play with my children or my grandchildren as long as I can. What is your movement goals right now? Ooh. So I don't have an ACL in my right knee. Ooh. Um, and How did that happen? Uh, basketball. <laughs> uh, someone basically hit me from the side and uh, my foot was planted on the ground. So very classic mechanism of injury for an ACL. So I haven't had an ACL for, think about six years now. I try my best to work around my knee, um, get my hip functioning better, get my spine better, a stronger ankle, uh, and then I just try to veer away from activities or sports also that would 
will be stupid to do with my current situation. What would that be? What would you avoid? Um, I would avoid very intense contact team sports. Like I still would dabble around jujitsu, but I do also tell my sparring partner or whoever I'm working with that I do have an injury in my knee. So I'm not in that competing level anymore, but I basically do martial arts for the love of it. Basically keep healthy uh, with my joints because my goals are the same. I recently, not recently, yeah, I, I got married this year. Congratulations. And thank you. And obviously planning for a kid is somewhere down there in the future. So same thing, I would love to stay healthy uh, and just you know, be able to play and run around with kids or kid in the future. Same thing, my reward system and my mindset has also changed. What is since. what are your go-to movements? My go-to movements are still good. my everyday cars or controlled articular rotations. That's where you take one joint and you basically take your joint in the outer limits or towards its outer limits in the circular fashion. I do I still do a lot of stretching um, and also basically end range training. So everything that we've talked about today, I do. <laughs> okay, so I want to ask about the cars movement. Mm -hmm. Is there a wrong way to do it? And what is a common mistake? When we move a joint, there will always be an opening angle and then there will always be a closing angle. So for the neck, if I side bend to the left side, the right side is the opening angle, the angle opening up, and then the left side is that closing angle. So if you do feel any discomfort and pain in the closing angle side, mm. um, then that's something you wouldn't really want to push through. Yeah, pretty simple. You can, let's say, if you do feel um, that closing angle pain, or if you do feel pain when you're drawing that circle, then maybe going or drawing a smaller circle would be much better and then slowly improving that. So when it comes to just trying to move around and, and really having that health mindset, um, sometimes I've, I feel it's hard for people to set aside like 30 minutes or one hour to just dedicate to your entire body. So in terms of health, I would go, look, if you have two minutes, you can literally do something for your neck. If you have 30 seconds, you can do something for your shoulder or do something for your spine. So it's constantly happening. It's kind of automatic for me or for us now because we had to build sort of healthy habits and we had to form habits for that. So sometimes when I'm having a remote, let's say, consultation with someone and they're working from home, um, you know, maybe have like a yoga mat or have a mat like right beside your table because once you see that yoga mat, that isn't a nice cue. Oh, I think I should do something for my body. Um, in terms of training, I, I do also work with the trainer. So that's one hour um, for strength training to overload the body a little bit more. But my strength training sessions are probably like twice a week. And the rest of the week is just for trying to take care of my joints and taking care of body and also work on my aerobic system, aerobic capacity. I like how it's all integrated into daily life. I love the idea of 30 seconds, two minutes. Mm. Yes, I can find that. Yeah, and just Like exactly. you said, listening to the body and if it's a bit tight, just yeah, move it. That's true. I used to be more of like a drill sergeant in terms of you tell me you don't have an hour, then 
there's no other way like you have to set an hour you have to set like 30 minutes and and stuff like that but and then i realized like oh i can't even do that when i'm super busy at work you want baby steps just like anything in life you want to just insert the healthy habit um, in order to just slowly build that nice foundation so rome wasn't built in a day i want to move on to mobility versus flexibility this is actually the reason why i found you because i had an, a yoga injury mm-hmm. and i'm a super flexible person and because of that i always allow myself to go to the end range but with no control mm-hmm. complete passive mm-hmm. and that's why i got injured and it was a big mess can you talk about that and the the misconceptions and the the big drama that goes around that concept okay. cool I'm gonna try not to go down a rabbit hole too much <laughs> but okay just to define things flexibility is your passive ability to get into a certain position or range of motion and mobility is just the active ability to get to a certain range of motion mobility will have your flexibility and strength so mobility equals strength and flexibility a lot of the times when you only have that passive ability to get into ranges you're not very strong so one um, like tendons really don't like to be stretched all the time and then two if you do need to you know absorb sort of like force or accept force into those areas if you only have that passive ability um, that's when injuries occur um, in terms of also let's say classic where you want to get into splits you also do need the strengthening component because once the brain knows that okay if i get into the splits and i can't actively get out of that then the brain is just going to be or just going to tell you that nope i'm not going to get you to go into a deeper range because i do not feel safe in that range so what's your point of view on people being pushed into a deeper stretch do you think that is helpful or it should just be avoided Um, I think when you're trying to just force yourself into the ranges by having someone try to manipulate you, then it's not always safe because I see quite a lot of people that come to me and say, oh, my yoga instructor just really pushed me into this range and then I just heard something or I felt something. And then this is when we then start to manage that injury. There are a lot of yogis that are very flexible and they and they think that they need to even stretch more in order to take away that discomfort but they need to actually strengthen a lot more because there's no stability there's no feeling of safeness in in the body or in the brain i totally feel that way when i feel tightness i feel like i need to stretch it out even more to release it so that's doesn't work what is what is that signal then if it's feeling tight the natural reaction is to stretch it out when it comes to chronic tightness it's usually the brain trying to signal the muscle to stay tight to compensate for the lack of strength it needs to be tight or it's wanting to feel tight in order to create more stability in the joints So the only way to actually feel much better is to actually introduce force, aka strengthen that specific tissue or that specific area. 
It's so, so counterintuitive. Yeah. Right. But I love that idea of I'm tired because I don't feel safe and now mm. I'm protecting myself. So what can we do to make our bodies feel safe? Mm-hmm. And I want to go into the neurological connection with how we think about injuries and what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing an Instagram video that you did of your client and the hamstring was having this spasm mm-hmm. every time it bends. And you were talking about retraining the mind on how to just relax and let that go. Can you mm-hmm. share that story? Yeah. This client or this particular client of mine, he had like a minor tear in the hamstring from jujitsu. Basically, that spasm that you were seeing or like sort of that um, contraction that you saw was just the way for the muscle to protect the joint being moved. So it was more of like in a traumatic state. The The brain will tell the muscle to basically protect itself because it doesn't feel safe. One thing that we can do is we do very low grade isometrics and contraction contractions to help the muscle feel safe and to actually like downgrade the spasming that's happening or try to hack that stretch reflex. So what is that? It's not always about rubbing or it's not always about massaging. What is the isometric contraction? So an isometric contraction is just to introduce a non-moving contraction in the muscle. Let's say this is a concentric contraction for the bicep and then this is a isometric contraction where your bicep is contracting, but the joint or your elbow joint isn't moving at all. Depending on the injury or depending on the human that's in front of you, you can also manipulate the amount of effort that the person is doing. A lot of the times when like they have an injury and they feel quite sore, I tell them, try to go for like a 10% effort of your or for that isometric contraction. Hold it for a little bit and, and see if you know, it feels a lot looser or if it feels less sore. If you go, let's say to a 50% and it feels more sore, then that just means you took it too much. So for spasms and acute injuries like that, we go very low grade contractions. So 10%, 20%. At the same time, I, I love that kind of treatment because that also teaches people how to control themselves a lot more. A lot of the times when I tell them, okay, can you please contract this or resist what I'm trying to do? It's always like from zero to 100. So I try to dial it down. It's like, "Mm, give me just whatever you feel 10% is, give even less of that. A lot of people are like, oh, I never knew like I could actually contract with that small dose. It's like, yes. Why is Um, that? There are a lot of people that just know stop and go. There's nothing in the middle. That's also the stuff that we try to get people aware of. Are there particular trainings that we can train for the gray area? Because I, I love that. I remember working with you like 10%, 30%, 60%. Like mm-hmm. what's even 60%? You know, yeah. like it's so yeah. subtle. Yeah. From, from let's say 60 or 70% to 100, that's where we try to create more strength adaptations. That's when we want to overload the tissue. All, all of the percentages lower than that or efforts lower than that would be like your rehab training but that's basically just allowing them to have the weaker muscles shine a bit more can you share the importance of the small muscles the tiny muscles shining a bit more this has been also a game changer for me and how i see my body Mm because i usually just train big muscles and then injuries happen yeah i just want everyone to know about the (laughs) tiny muscles they're so important uh, coming coming back to experience the most experienced muscles or let's say fibers will 
definitely know how to work or contract more versus the weaker fibers. So you want to also get them involved. You want to get them to join the party uh, and really help in terms of like moving the joint or moving the body. And it's another example and another rabbit hole as to like looking at an entire muscle and calling that said muscle as let's say like a quadricep or a bicep. If you dissect that muscle, then there's like just mini mini fibers inside and then inside those mini fibers there's mini mini fibers again and then you have like your muscle cells so i want to dive into injuries when my mom suffered from really bad knee pains every doctor is telling her that it's old age Mm -hmm. and that she's going to need stuff injected in her knee or have a knee surgery and at one point she was walking around with a cane and it was just so heartbreaking to see her someone who's so active and Mm -hmm life you know loving life to then starting limping with the walking stick and Mm -hmm. then I brought her to see you and you prescribed some exercises and I think it was really hard for her to grasp it's like what I can just do exercises to heal Mm -hmm. and I think the first two weeks she didn't see much results she's like oh I don't know if it's working but then after I think consistent exercises for maybe four to six weeks then she's like yeah the pain is getting dull and then eventually she can stop walking with a walking stick. And it's then amazing. these days she's like, I have to do my exercises because when I don't do my exercises, the pain comes back. Mm-hmm. I need to keep those muscles strong. Yeah. What kind of injuries can people recover from through these kind of movements? But then also what kind of injuries cannot, right? I mean, I have a friend who's had two knee surgery and it's always swollen and he it just really interrupts disturb the quality of his life mm-hmm. and and i'm hesitant to even recommend because i mean i don't know if this would help mm-hmm. so where is the line i think any injury you know that's not too debilitating can be coached through or managed with the proper dose of exercise and and, and therapy also psychologically coaching the person you want to look at them in sort of like a holistic manner is it is it really just their strength or is it also that they're scared to move because they're traumatized from feeling the pain and they don't want to feel pain anymore there there are cases where let's say when when it comes to meniscus like early stages or like minor meniscal tears can be managed conservatively without surgery but obviously when there are certain signs for for meniscal tears wherein yeah you do need to kind of get that cleaned up or you need to see an orthopedic surgeon for this but i think with any injury the best thing to do is always go the conservative route first and see whether that will help because i always also tell people even after your surgery you're still going to be doing the same exercises that we are prescribing right now when you do see a doctor a lot of the times that would be the only way they would know how to manage your symptoms or manage your injury. And and that's more symptom management rather than really trying to manage the body and manage the injury. Unfortunately, also like how some surgeons are going to make money, uh, they need to open people up a lot more. Steroidal injections, that's a quick fix, a temporary one though. And again, it's like a lot of people would prefer that. One, it's, it's how... It's how the industry has been for quite a while. Pharmaceutical companies have been training our brains to think this way that I do need a pill all the time to just 
easily fix this, but it's more of like managing um, and trying to get you back to where we used to be or like our status before. Can you share a story of a person with a type of injury that supposedly was going to be way more serious, like this treatment would be way more um, invasive, mm-hmm. and then you you guys managed to find a system that was able to heal in a different way? Yeah, so this always comes to mind. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite cases because like I, I felt so much joy and so much... Um, um, how do you call this, like fulfillment with. She was about in her mid-50s. This was like a couple of years ago now. Um, and she came from the U.S. And, you know, she was sharing her story about her back issue, um, how everything hurts, how every small movement hurts. If she did sit down, driving, painful when she stood up. In the morning, terrible mornings, that was like her worst time of the day. Um, and she just didn't want to do anything. She she got depressed. Obviously, in the States, o- opioids is quite a big thing as well. Because obviously, if you go to like doctors and they wouldn't know how to manage injuries, how, let's say, like physiotherapists or physical therapists would, um, then take a painkiller and all that stuff until she became super dependent on the painkillers and like she was constantly looking for it and every time she would visit me it's like oh yeah you know uh, I I took this painkiller and it was much better or you know so we had to migrate from okay um, for now try these exercises try these gentle exercises to move your spine to really work on um, controlling your spine a lot more to get it strong so starting really really light and very easy for her we had to also ask her you know like what are the activities that you love and we try to use that also as a way to motivate her to to do some exercises the main goal without telling her was to get her less dependent on the drugs and the opioids i believe she also needed to address that i i, I was trying to also tell her to see someone or a professional that would fit sort of taking her out of that dependency as well. You know, after like a couple of months, she was then like, oh, good news. Like she messaged me, like good news. I didn't feel the need to take this painkiller anymore. That was really, really nice to hear and and to really read that message because then she started getting the reward from doing her exercises and moving more, feeling more confident to move uh, without the use of drugs. That was really nice. That's like another example of trying to approach it as like a health coach rather than just, you know, like a physiotherapist. And this is also like what people also need to be aware of that, let's say, like physiotherapists can actually help you uh, in that holistic path as well, rather than just thinking of massage. We're not just people that rub you. Um, or like help you stretch out or someone to tell you off when you're not doing something right or not doing your exercises. So, yeah. When you worked with her and you looked at her case holistically, what other factors did you study? So apart from the physical part, and then you talked about her dependency on the drugs, mm-hmm. um, did you address sleep and I don't know, emotional well-being? Yeah. 
for sure. I was constantly asking her every time when she would come in, how was your sleep last night? Um, how many hours were you or did you get sleep? Did you feel also that your sleep was good quality sleep? Did you feel that you were able to have deeper sleep? Did you wake up less uh, in the middle of the night? So I, I got her to try to track her sleep a lot more with activity trackers or something that can track her sleep because this was also just affecting um, her sort of like emotionally or like how tired she would feel the next day, how motivated she would feel. Um, also got her to maybe get more sun um, as sort of like a way to just get her out of her bed, uh, get her out of the room, just walk a little bit more rather than just stay in her apartment. So all of that and that I, I feel, you know, the sleep, getting more vitamin D will just make you also feel much better emotionally and, and all that stuff. And, and that really just also helps with everything else. And it's interesting. Well. Sometimes the patient might not even realize those mm -hmm. were those played a factor in the healing process, right? Yeah. They probably just thought yeah. Yeah, it was the movement, the manipulation. And yeah, that's true. Yeah, because like also with better sleep, you recover well. So if you are sore, a little sore from like exercises, you'll be able to recover faster and then move a little bit more as well. So yeah, it affects quite a lot. All right, we're going to close this interview out with a few rapid questions and, and your closing thoughts. How have you grown in the past three years as a physician? Past three years. So I was very passive based before. Um, after physiotherapy school, I felt that we didn't get enough manual therapy training. So I really just focused and dived into manual therapy a lot. Massage techniques, stretching techniques. Uh, I, I worked for a stretch clinic as well before because that was definitely helping people. But then I had people also leave me at the time because they felt that it was very temporary. And then being an, you know, an athlete as a younger person or younger human, like I did enjoy a lot of movement and sports, sort of like meeting a mentor, meeting someone that introduced me to this new world of, of movement, like changed me as well. Like, like, oh, you know, proper movement prescription actually helps without me laying hands on people. And it just makes you also mentally better. So, Who was the person that you met that changed? Oh, the so um, how long ago was this? I think this was, so I've been in Hong Kong for eight years now. I think I met him in my first or second year. I don't know if you've heard uh, a guy called Ido Portal. So he was the in... Israeli guy? Yeah, so oh, he was based in... Work. He was based in Hong Kong uh, when he first started his business. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet him and we had like a couple of sessions where I was helping him with his mobility and, and flexibility stuff. But he was already quite flexible, but he wanted to have his shin touch his forehead so I tried to help him manage that and, and help him with the goals and he just kept going on on like asking me just questions about how I thought of movement and it was very like new to me because it was also very philosophical at the same time and I was just you know oh this guy's weird because I just you know came out of school and I was like very like book conditioned this just, again, opened up more when he started showing me some stuff. 
And what kind of stuff? At the time, he was still very big on the gymnastic stuff. So he was showing me just like how to passively hang on the bar, how to like work on end range squats and how to work on rotation in the squat position, working on like strength training with just using the rings. We dove into a little bit of handstand training as well back then. Now he's more into just like a lot of playful movement and using play in order to motivate people with just their daily lives and um, trying to also like train the brain with coordination movements and and uh, lots of fun stuff. Yeah, as well. I yeah. love his work. Mm. And so how has that learning experience translated into your own personal life? So. Yeah, because it also has worked for me and I have really experienced and noticed that it has helped with the clients that I see. Um, it's helped me, it's benefited my body and I, this is something that I just really want to share all the time with my clients because we need to move more. We need to play a lot more. This is something that we have forgotten because, you know, as children, this is what we did all the time. And somewhere down the line when we needed to put on a suit, sit down in a desk and stuff like that, it's just completely gone. I, I hope that people can find a similar experience as to feeling like a child again, because this is, we want to find that fountain of youth. And, and this is the only way we can do it through more movement, through play, and just exploring and getting to know the body a lot more. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree with you. What is the book that you have gifted the most or that has made a big impact oh, on your life? There's quite a few, but I like recently I have been trying to get people to read Atomic Habits by James Clear. I think it's it's such a good book because one, it just really helps you build foundations in terms of trying to break habits, building better habits as well. You know, this is how we can actually it's powerful how you can change your mindset and also telling yourself, uh, I'm just not that kind of a person, so I'm not going to do it. I never used to be a morning person. I always thought I was a very nocturnal person because my mornings were just, uh, you know, I was very <laughs> slow in the morning. But now I'm trying to sleep earlier, waking up earlier in the morning when the sun rises, um, which I feel is so much better for my circadian rhythm. And I'm actually reading now in the morning and my mornings are so much better. I was like, oh, actually, I can, I can actually function well in the morning. You can be a morning person. Yeah, I can be a morning person. Those tiny things, that book will give you strategies and just really teach you how to build the habits and, and be who you actually want to be. What is the best lesson that your mom or your dad taught you? I think my mom always taught me how to be grateful and to thank people all the time and just value the people that you meet. I think this has helped me quite a lot in everything that I, I do and I did all throughout my career and growing up. And what are your closing thoughts on how we can use our bodies better in a healthier way mm -hmm. and achieve the goals that we want? So especially being in Hong Kong, Hong Kong is such a stimulating city. I think that we should be sort of more open to trying to slow things down, slowing down our environment so that we have less, you know, distractions and less fluff to be able to listen to our bodies a lot more. Don't be afraid to try new things. May it be a breathwork practice, 
um, the power of also just meditating and just checking in with yourself. So I would say to just slow things down and, and, and really think about yourself and take care of yourself um, because we, we have one body and, and this is it. We are fighting against time. And if we don't do anything now, even if it was just something small, we're definitely going to regret it in the future. It's never too late. I think at any age or at any time of your life, there's something that we can do to improve our physical health and longevity. You know, read more about it or like look for articles about it and, and then just try to dive in and getting to know yourself and your body more today. Yeah, definitely mm -hmm. get into the driver's seat and take control exactly. of your own life. Exactly. I love that. Is there anything else you would like to share that I have missed or I didn't cover that comes to mind? Um, I guess if you're interested with the type of work that I do or um, our team does, you can visit us at Momentum. Um, we are a health space on Wellington Street in Central, so it's quite easy. It's in the heart of Central. And if you do need coaching in terms of finding solutions to your movement problems or just trying to... Um, maybe find and introduce yourselves to a different kind of therapy for your body and also a holistic approach to things. Momentum is definitely a place that you will feel like you can be taken care of. If you want to see our website, it's www.lifeinmomentum.com. And yeah. your social media handles? Social media handles for Momentum, it's momentum.hk. Uh, my Instagram handle is Miyagi Hands. Why Miyagi? So it, it also tells my age, but I was quite a, a fan of Karate Kid. And, you know, it was just fitting to see Mr. Miyagi, like how when Daniel got that leg injury and he couldn't stand up, Miyagi just, or Mr. Miyagi just basically rubbed his hands and then laid his healing hands on the leg. And then he was, whoop, he was able to fight again. Thank you so much, Kevin, You're for welcome. being on the show. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this conversation on joint health, mobility, and movement as a way of life. I loved what Kevin said about sprinkling movement throughout the day, listening to our bodies, and playing more. The show notes of this episode are on my website, interested.blog, and I love receiving your messages. They encourage me to continue bringing you helpful wellness content, and they also help others find the podcast too. So if you like my work, hit subscribe and share it with a friend.